Welcome. You may be a member at Rochester Church of Christ, or you may follow us regularly online, or you may have been referred to this by a friend. Either way, we're glad you're here. This is Adam Hill, Minister of the Word at Rochester Church of Christ, and I hope that this message will speak into your life with the good news about Jesus. I want to welcome you to Babylon, circa 580 BCE. As you can see, we are all geared up for VBS this week, uh, part of the, the biblical story that's couched in the book in your Old Testament of Daniel. And, and, and so you see that we're using the slides that the kids are going to be seeing all week with the lions and all of that business. Obviously, when you think lions in the Bible, you're thinking Daniel. And so here we are. Now, Daniel, if you don't know who that is or if you're not really familiar with his story, Daniel stands up for God and is faithfully obedient, even though he's surrounded by a lot of people who want him to fail, who actively try and make his life miserable, who conspire and plot to bring him down. And today, as a church family, what we're going to do is we're kind of going to set the stage a little bit for what our kids are going to be learning about all week long, because I want to make sure that we're all learning together and that we have the opportunity to ask the kids, ask the young people, what are you learning this week? And we should all be able to kind of be in the ballpark of what's happening because we know we're talking about Daniel. As a matter of fact, they're going to be learning about four stories from Daniel's life that reveal how he lived as a faithful witness for God, even when he was opposed. Two of the stories are well known. If I asked you to name me the two best known stories in the book of Daniel, my biblical scholars would probably give me which two. Lion's Den, absolutely, let's go for one more. Good, the furnace, the fiery furnace, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, absolutely, I love it. Two of them are a little lesser known, although my serious scholars or my folks who are with me during my Wednesday night series through the book of Daniel should be able to come up with them. But they would have been, uh, those are Daniel interpreting the king's dreams. And then God pronounces judgment on the kingdom of Babylon, literally using the handwriting on the wall. All right, so they're going to look at those two stories as well. This fascinating portion of scripture is so rich. And I know that we're all going to be blessed from it as we learn together. And as we do that, I want to begin today with a reading from God's word that I'm going to ask you to stand for. In honor and reverence of God and His authority and the beauty of Scripture, the richness of Scripture that guides our, author- that guides our, our life and practice. And I'm actually not going to read from the book of Daniel. I'm going to give you a different reading and then we're going to see how it connects. I'm going to read to you from Deuteronomy chapter 31 and verse 6. The Bible says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them, for the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them, for the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you 
nor forsake you. Heavenly Father, we praise you because you are with us. Because you refuse to leave us or forsake us. And even in the midst of our enemies, even in the, in the midst of those who work against us, or even in the midst of those people who just ignore us. God, you are with us, engaged, active, fighting on our behalf, and working yourself through us. And we don't deserve it. And we know it's not because of how great we are but because of how great you are. Thank you for not leaving us to our own devices. Give us eyes to see you and ears to hear you, Father. Speak, for your children are listening. In Christ's name we pray together. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. For those of you who are not familiar, the book of Daniel is set during a period of time in Jewish history known as the Exile. I'll give you the short version of the run-up. Way back in Genesis 12, if you read the Bible story, God chose Abraham, promising him two things. He he said, I'm going to give you descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky or the sand on the seashore. Okay, that was the first thing he promised. Second thing he promised... I'm going to give you a land for all of you to live in. Promised nation, promised land. Through Abraham and his son Isaac, God raised up a great nation. And even though the nation was in slavery in Egypt, God then did something amazing and something that became the most important event in the history of the people of God, the Exodus. God went to war against Egypt's gods and freed his people from slavery. Then he led them with Moses into the promised land. Then they wanted a king. I'm really putting this in, I'm oversimplifying a lot of the biblical history, but just go with me. They wanted a king. God wasn't too keen on the idea, but they really wanted a king. David managed to lead as king with his heart still surrendered to God. But then things went downhill quickly. Solomon, David's son, was very wealthy and wise, but also very morally compromised. And when he died, his kids proved so inept that the kingdom split north and south. Eventually, the northern kingdom was conquered, leaving only Judah and the capital city of Jerusalem where the temple of the Lord was. But then even Judah and Jerusalem was completely decimated by Babylon, and Babylon carried the children of Israel off into captivity. This is called the exile. God's people are going to spend more than 70 or 80 years in exile. Awesome, Adam. Thanks for sharing that story. We were having fun. You're in 
you're in the, the marketplace and there's all kinds of cereal in front of you, which is great. But why are you being so depressing now and talking about how God led them from slavery to slavery? Like, great. Imagine how hard, though, it must have been to have been one of the Israelites during this time. They had been slaves, God had freed them, and now they were being carried away again as slaves. Like them, you might want to ask, what happened? I mean, look, I know they were sinful, but God is faithful and he promised he was on our side. Did God's promises fail? Now what? The story that we're told in Daniel is a story about how God is with us even when we are far off course. The other day, I walked onto the 18th green to pick up my golf ball. People were excited that I had hit such a good shot. They didn't know I was shooting on the ninth. I was so close to the hole, they were impressed by my shot. I didn't tell them. I'm actually on the ninth, and it took a wicked turn. I picked up my ball, went to my car, and left. Those applause were enough for me. This, when you feel that far off course, this is the book that tells you God is still with you. When you feel like you're not in the majority anymore, we used to have influence, we used to have power, and now it seems like we just get ignored or else there are active opponents working against us and there's nothing we can do, this is the book for you. When you feel forgotten, Daniel is the story for you. You see, this is the story for whether God's people will live into their calling even after they've lost, they've lost the comforts of home field advantage. You see, the context may have changed, but their witness hasn't. And the question is, is there a witness even when we're weak? And the book of Daniel makes this bold proclamation. There is a God in Babylon. There is a God in Babylon. Right, the God. There is a God in Babylon. We didn't get carried, we got carried off away from that land. We got carried off away from God's city. We got carried off away from God's temple. But we didn't get carried off away from God. Because there is a God in Babylon. Join me in Daniel chapter 1. In the third year, I'm going to start in verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put them in the treasure house of his God. God is present in his sovereign role. God is sovereign. Say that word. Sovereign. That's a fancy word. That word means God's in control. 
God is present and in control. You see, now Judah as a kingdom was caught in a really tough place geographically. Because to their east, Egypt's empire is large and expanding. They want to gain more territory. And to their west, Babylon's empire is growing and expanding. And they want to gain more territory. And they don't like each other. And so the two big bullies want to have a fight. The problem is, little bitty Judah's standing right in between them. Judah's in a tough place. And one of the ways that the king of Judah survived was to pay them not to fight him. This is giving the bully your lunch money so that he will leave you alone. Babylon came in with an army and said, so, we were thinking about passing through, but we could always just stop here. And they would roll out the money carts and say, "Mm, just keep on walking, please. That's how they kept their peace. They did everything they could, even selling some of the gold and the treasure from the temple to give those to Babylon. That's everything they could do to keep themselves safe. They did it. You're going to find out in a moment. They wanted to take people. And they gave them people to take. Not just any people, important people. Anything they could do, they tried to save themselves through any means necessary. But what does it say happened? Yeah, if you read verse 2, there's a really interesting phrase there right at the beginning. The Lord delivered Judah into the hand of King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. Notice Nebuchadnezzar didn't take it. The Lord gave it. You see, God is active in his sovereign role. Because in Daniel, it's always the Lord who gives. And I wish I could go through the whole book with you again. But we've already done that this year, so I'm not too worried about it. But understand, in chapter 1 and verse 2, God gave Jehoiakim into Nebuchadnezzar's hands. In 1.9, which we're going to see in a moment, God gave Daniel favor with the overseer. In 1.17, which we'll see in a moment, God gave four young exiles the learning and the skill needed to endure in exile. 2.21, God gives Daniel the wisdom to interpret dreams. 4.17, God gives kingdoms to whoever he chooses. He tells that to Nebuchadnezzar. Oh, by the way, if you missed it, in 5.28, he's going to tell it to Belshazzar, including him. God gives kingdoms to whoever he chooses. 7.13 and 14, God will give the kingdoms to one like the Son of Man. 9.22, God gives Daniel visions. 12, 13, God gives Daniel a fitting place in his kingdom. Everything that happens in this book happens because God gives first. That God is active in his sovereignty. And from their own perspective, the people of Israel believed that God had come up short, had let them down, had lost the war, and couldn't save them. But thank God... God's blessings are not limited by our understandings of the circumstances that we find good or bad around us. 
that God is still sovereign and actively working on behalf of his people and his mission. I'm going to let you in on this. In this book, God is the main character. I know it's named Daniel, but God is the main character. And in addition to appointing the kings over these other fleeting empires, God is also revealing his own eternal kingdom as well. That God's kingdom rises despite Judah's exile. God's kingdom rises despite Babylon's oppression. God's kingdom rises uh, despite Judah's weakness. God's kingdom rises not because of the strength and cloud of his people, but because of God's power in heaven and on earth. There is a God in Babylon. Now look at verses 3 and following. It says, The king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men, without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. All right, those are some promising young people. I I want you to bring me those folks. From the rich, the influential families. Because we need to get them to fall in line if we want to keep these folks around. You see, the program is pretty straightforward. Indoctrinate them into the culture with new education and language. Surround them with new luxury. Give them new identities. He, it says that uh, he was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were eating the best food. They were to be trained for three years, and after that they were, enter- they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief priest, or the chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, he calls him Shadrach. Mishael is called Meshach, and Azariah is called Abednego. New education, new language, new luxury, new names. It's Assimilation 101. But for this group of promising nobles, exile might not seem so bad. Matter of fact, it might seem pretty awesome. I mean, think about it. They get great food, top-of-the-line education, and a leadership position guaranteed when they graduate. What's not to love about that? Well, for Daniel, it was the food. At least at first. Watch what happens in verse 8. Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief priest, the chief official, for permission not to defile himself this way. Daniel would not defile himself with the food and the wine from the king's table. Now, some see in the word defile a reference to being made unclean by partaking in foods that were not lawful. Or a practice of idolatry in which Daniel would be eating food that may have been sacrificed to idols. That either way, Daniel is keeping himself purified, undefiled, and veggies would be safe. So it's a cultic practice. Now, I'm not sure why vegetables couldn't also have been offered to an idol. 
But that's the theory. And you need to understand something, though. It's, it's important in order to get what Daniel's doing, if, if this is what he's doing, that if it's a cultic issue, here's the deal. To be unclean, according to the law, is not the same thing as sinning. You could be unclean and still not have sinned. There were lots of things that would make you unclean. Physical ailments could make you unclean. That's not sin. Okay, so it's not a matter of Daniel avoiding sin if if this is cultic. It's a matter of Daniel wanting to be clean. What do you lose if you are unclean? Well, you lose the ability to be able to go worship in the temple. Uh, Which is not much of a problem if you've been carried away into Babylon. Which means that if Daniel is making sure that he is not defiled, that he can still worship cleanly, it means that Daniel, even though he's away from God's temple, is never considering that he will not worship. Kenny, did they hear it? Because I I, I didn't, it didn't sound like they heard it. I know some of the folks out at home were like, oh, I heard it. Even though he's not at the temple and has no access to the temple, he is living his life as if he's about to go and worship. All right. He is living his life in worship, prepared and ready for worship, even though he doesn't have access to the temple. No matter how long he's in Babylon, Daniel is going to live in sync with God's worship and God's law. Now, other people suggest that it's more of a symbolic gesture. That it's not so much a cultic practice, but it's a symbolic gesture that he refuses the king's food. Because he knows if Babylon gets into you, you might not ever make it out. That these young people were being smothered by Babylon and its wealth. They were being programmed by Babylon's prestige. They were being bought by Babylon's bounty. And so Daniel said, if we're going to have any chance at withstanding assimilation, we have to take a stand. And you know those are two pretty good choices. So I'm going to tell you out of those two, I choose yes. Probably both. And while obedience is its own reward, God provides them with health and vigor as they stand for God. God's grace is sneaked into this passage. God's grace sneaks into this passage because this is is silent. God is active in his sovereign rule. Second thing, God is active in his silent role. That even when he's silent, God is active. Look at verse 9. I'm about to electrocuted. <laughs> For those of you that can't hear me, I'm doing my best to say it loudly enough. They'll get it worked out. Just know when it comes through, I'm going to be screaming at you. <laughs> Look at what happens in verse 9. Now, God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. God 
caused the official to show favor. Everything that the people of God have in Daniel is because God gave it. Everything that anyone has in Daniel is because God gave it. God caused the official to have compassion, to have favor. But the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my Lord the king who assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables and water. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and wine. They were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. There is a God in Babylon. Now watch what happens in verse 17 and following. Because we've seen God is faithful in his sovereign role. God is faithful in his silent role. Now you're going to see that God is faithful in his subversive role. Watch what happens in verse 17 and following. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. First thing that happens in this portion is that God gives gifts. Did you catch it? God gave knowledge and understanding and all the gifts. God gave. And then at the end of the time, verse 18, set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them and found that none were equal to Daniel, Hananiah, and In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. First, we saw in verse 17, God gave the gifts. And then in verses 18 to 20, we see that those gifts are recognized even by other people. Daniel and his three friends are placed in key roles where their faithfulness and obedience to God will serve as a subversive witness to the powers that be. Daniel will interpret dreams in chapter 2 that tell the king, your kingdom is not going to stand forever. In chapter 3, these three, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who are put in charge of much, will not bow down to the golden idol, the image that Nebuchadnezzar raises. And it's going to get them in plenty of trouble. The king is going to try to kill them, but they're going to live through it because they have that even though faith. Daniel's going to not stop praying because the king tells him, no more praying to anyone but me. Daniel won't stop. By the way, he goes to his, his room at the time for the prayer in the day. And that's amazing at the time for the prayer because there is no more temple. There is no more time for the prayer. But Daniel has not stopped living according to temple time. 
And so he's there praying. They arrest him. They try to kill him, and God won't let them. Daniel, you're being subversive. Yes, because God is active in his subversive role. There is a God in Babylon. One more thing in verse 21. And this one's the most subtle. Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. And we read that and go, okay. It's sort of like when the Bible gives you all those geographical points of reference. And those of us who don't know anything about the geography go, all right. Thank you. Yes. Just down the road from the the tree of Mamre. Got it? Sure is. I know where the the, the washerman's field is. Yep, right past that. We we go with the references. So here you get this historical reference. Oh, okay, you served till King Cyrus. Got it. That's good. I need you to know that God is active in his sustaining role. He's active in a sovereign role. He's active in a silent role. He's active in a subversive role, and he's active in a sustaining role. Four S's. This is the most sermony sermon you could get. (laughs) Sometimes the way the Bible tells stories, you can miss the historical chronology because it looks like things are happening just back to back to back every day. But the truth is that God acts in his own time, and often that's slower than what we have in mind. In 1-1, Daniel was brought to Babylon as a young man during the reign of King Nebuchadnezzar, probably around 596 at earliest. The king mentioned in 121 is Cyrus. When did he rule Babylon? He didn't. He's not a Babylonian king. Cyrus is a Persian king. You see, Nebuchadnezzar is going to reign, and then he's going to die. And then there's going to be three more that reign in Babylon, and then they're going to die. And then the Medes and Persians are going to come in and take them out, and Darius is going to rule. And after Darius, you're going to see the Persians rise, and that's when Cyrus is going to lead. Cyrus is going to come to the throne around 539. 596 minus 539. Almost 60 years. 60 years pass between 120 and 121 in your Bible. And God still is providing for Daniel. God still is active leading Daniel. God still is there on his behalf. God is active in his sustaining role. It's subtle, but verse 21 lets us know that the tough times sometimes last a lot longer than you would expect. But you can be faithful for a long time. You can be a person like Daniel of authentic devotion, courageous and persistent witness, and uncompromising faith, even for the long haul. And we need some believers in it for the long haul right now. We need to know there is a God in Babylon because that God is the God to whom all of humanity must answer. 
Daniel places all hope for true justice in the hands of God who loves us so much and cares so much that he's actively engaged and involved and nothing escapes God's notice. See, Daniel's actually a very political book. The real question of the book of Daniel is about what happens when power and politics collide with God's kingdom. And maybe this is why Daniel is such an important book for the church to study right now. Because you realize there are lots of Babylons in this world today. And you realize that our nation is one of them. Tony Campolo said it best. He said, we may live in the best Babylon in the world, but it's still Babylon. And we see it in our culture. God's people are being brainwashed. They're being re-educated with comfort. They're being brainwashed with wealth. They're being blinded by power. And they're being silenced by assimilation. Daniel is a book in which God's people suffer and endure numerous threats. But God continually rescues his people. Now, he gets them into trouble too. But then he rescues them. Because look, as long as God behaves, everything's great. I mean, okay, differences in food and diet. As long as you end up healthy, that's fine. Clint, they can eat vegetables anytime. That's fine. That's not harming anyone. God behaved, that's good. As long as Daniel can interpret a few dreams, that's great too. But then, God threatens the king and challenges the powers that be. And when God does that, his people tend to suffer. You know, they get thrown into furnaces or into lion's dens. Kenny, I want to go ahead and ask you and your, your team to come up. I want our prayer team to come up. And I want to remind you of the faith of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That even though faith... I just want you to look for a moment in chapter 3 at verses 16 through 18. They've been told to bow down to the furnace. It says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. The God we serve is able to deliver us. But pay attention. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he doesn't, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods nor worship the image that you've set up. We know God is able to deliver us, but even if he doesn't, we're still going to trust him. That's the faith that I'm talking about. That's this subversive faith. That's this, that's this, this trust. You see, we, what if our problem as the church, is that we don't want faith to cost us that much. What if that's the problem? We don't want our faith to cost us that much. What if we don't want our faith to cost us our lives? What if we don't want our faith to cost us our comfort? 
Do we realize that the Bible says that our baptism into Christ and his kingdom supersedes all ultimate allegiances to the nations because every nation will fall, but the kingdom of God will live forever. And there is a God in Babylon. Amen. Amen. The question before you is, will you serve him alone? There is a God in Babylon. Will you serve him and him alone? Rochester Church of Christ is called to live God's gospel, truth, and love with the world so that we all may find life together in God. We are not a perfect people, but we long to live in ways that help people see God and the kingdom more clearly. To learn more about our family of faith or to connect with us, visit www. .rochestercoc.org. Remember, you are loved and chosen.